Let us pray. Father God, as we come before your word this morning, we ask that you just bless us, feed us, strengthen us, uh, allow us to have a good portion this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This isn't in my sermon notes, but we talked about it a little bit in Sunday school, and we're, we're blessed to be having... We have newborns, and we have more newborns coming, and there's an important point in this verse that I don't settle on too much in, for today, but Moses and Aaron weren't willing to go worship if it was just the men, or just the men and the women, but they wanted to go into worship with the men, women, and children, and so when we hear the chorus of children, that's, that's a beautiful thing. It also kind of reminds me of the fact that probably my favorite audience I've ever been able to preach to are a few times I've been able to preach in African-American environments, and they really, like, engage with you. They, mm-hmm, yeah, and they're, it's, it's like a dialogue going back and forth as you preach. So we are blessed. We are blessed indeed to go into worship that way. Uh-huh, amen. Preach it. We're here now in the seventh and eighth plagues, and really the eighth and ninth warnings that have gone forth into uh, to Pharaoh, including the, the time of the serpent staff. And I point that out right at the beginning because we kind of have a tendency, and, and, and this is a fair way to, to look at Exodus, but not a full way to look at this story of Exodus, to think of this as a great kind of epic battle between good and evil, cosmic forces, heavenly forces, uh, raging in one sense against one another. And, and there's a truth in that. And yet I think we could, we could say honestly as we've, we approach the seventh and eighth plagues, this isn't much of a war. This isn't much of a battle. God is utterly wiping the floor with Pharaoh. He is in utter command and utter control of every factor and every facet of this pouring out of wrath. And so this week I was really struck with the fact that this is almost more of a story of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. And even the passages constantly talk about the hardness of heart issue. Just, just imagine with me for a moment. Don't, don't put the name of Pharaoh on it, but imagine I told you that God came to someone. God came to someone through his word and, and, and give him a warning of judgment to come and give him an opportunity to heed his word and to change his way. Well, if such a thing, he would say God is generous. Well, how about if that happened then a second time and a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time and a sixth time and a seventh time and an eighth time and a ninth time, and a tenth time, and again, including that serpent staff, even more than that, an eleventh time. 
We often can get caught up in the, just the nature of the wrath of it all, but we miss how patient the Lord is with Pharaoh. Every time, extending an opportunity to repent, to turn from his way, to turn from his sin. It, 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 when we look at it like that, this isn't so much an epic battle as it's really a, a, a statement of, wow, God really is patient. God really is kind, even to his greatest enemies. I mean, this man is persecuting his own people. What a hard heart, Pharaoh. What a fool. We wouldn't judge God and, and say this is wicked, and we would say, wow. God continued to meet with this man, continued to extend an, an opportunity for him to, to, to repent, and he just continued to refuse and refuse and blow him off. And that's, that's an incredible thing because... I think of how many times God continues to meet with me in mercy. Meet with me week in and week out with patience. Meet me week in and week out with grace. And I, am I just kind of quick to blow him off in certain areas? Are you quick to blow him off in certain areas? Is your heart in certain facets of your life, you've, you've come to your opinion, you you. You do deep down know what God's Word says, but that's been your opinion for, for, for a period of time, a significant period of time, and you've just kind of hardened yourself to the Word of God. I think that's a, a healthy question for us all to ask ourselves this morning. And so our passage starts here, and, and it starts with God just talking with Moses about what he's to do the following morning, you know, uh, just giving him the instructions. And God coaches Moses in verse 15 that when Moses wakes, he's going to tell Pharaoh yet again to let his people go. <clears throat> and there's an interesting part here in, in God's ask to Moses uh, of what he wants Moses to say to Pharaoh in the Hebrew. ESV puts it this way, For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself, and on your servants, and on your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. But that you yourself there, more kind of woodenly translated, is God really saying to Pharaoh, your people will suffer under you because of your heart problem. Your people will suffer under you because of your heart problem. And, and in that point... There's, there's a lot of application we can make. We can easily run to external applications. For instance, let's go to two obvious individuals. If I were to say people suffered under Stalin or people suffer, suffered under Hitler because of their heart problem, that's not a controversial statement. There's no continent on the face of the earth that would would say that's, that's a hard thing to believe. We actually can see that the people suffered because of the heart problems of, of Hitler and Stalin. 
We're good with that external kind of pointing. Actually now moving it in, bringing it a little closer to home. We're good at pointing out suffering we're enduring, we believe, because of heart problems of another. Heart problems, we believe, of a spouse. Heart problems, we believe, of friends. Heart problems, we believe, of others. We're good at identifying in our own minds suffering uh, that is external to us. But what about the heart problems that reside in the cavity in our own chest? Well, now, those are harder to see. Those are harder to accept. And oftentimes, suffering enters our human story, not just because of the heart problems of others out there. No, rather, a great deal of suffering we endure, and even others around us who we love and care about, begins because of our own heart struggles. A stubborn refusal to acknowledge How the God who treasures us and patiently comes to us time and time and time again. His mercies are new every morning. Um, We just think little of it. I think of a great many of the most frustrating, frightening, difficult moments for me in my life. And honestly, if I have the courage to admit it, most of that started with a heart problem within myself, first and foremost. And I'm doubt, I doubt I'm the only one that's true of. We need to be very careful not just to continue on with a hardened heart in the patterns and that we've just kind of accepted of ourselves. Oh, that's just the way I am. Oh, that's just something, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll struggle with. That's just part of my personality. Because often these things can be poisons in our life that we hold on to and and cause us great harm. We, in our own way, while obviously Pharaoh is not a believer, we can have our own problems of hardness of heart. And then, as God's talking about what Moses is to say to Pharaoh, God then adds something rather remarkable in the second half of verse from verse 14 all the way down through verse 16. What's the purpose behind the wrath of the plagues? Because the wrath of God here in these plagues has a purpose. What's the purpose for wrath being poured out on Pharaoh? It's so that God's name might be proclaimed throughout all the earth. As we read in verse 16, from God's lips to Pharaoh's ears, but for this purpose... I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. That, that verse gave me goosebumps when I first read it. First, because of a rabbit trail I'm not going to take this morning, but if I had a blindfold or I was just hearing that verse, not knowing where it was in the Scriptures, I'd say, that almost sounds like the end of the Gospel of Matthew. For this purpose I have raised you up, or... You know, it's almost Great Commission-esque. You know, all power and authority has been given unto me to show you my power so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. But I don't want to go down that rabbit trail, but that verse also gave me goosebumps because 
We live in a world where wholesale generations of American Christians have been confronted by a societal pressure to soften the message of the Bible, to lie to people, and to pretend that this book doesn't testify of an exclusivity of Christ as only Lord and Christ as only Savior, and also to pretend that God is not in part a God of wrath. And yet here is God telling Pharaoh, wrath is being poured out on you in part because, yes, of your heart problem, but I'm also allowing this wrath to be poured out upon you so that the whole world might know the power of my wrath. A powerful wrath that will ultimately destroy those who stubbornly remain an enemy of God. But it's also a powerful wrath that will save a remnant of people unto the worship of the Lord. Yes, God is a patient God. Yes, God is a merciful God. Yes, as we've already seen, God comes to His enemies even time and time and time again in word, thought, and deed. But here God is saying, I want the world to know of my wrath. Both those who reject me and those who receive me. And what do we do? We go into a world where God says, hey, I want them to know about my wrath. I want the reality of my wrath to be known. I want them to know about the plagues. I want them to know about the judgment. I want them to know that I'm set against leaders that are set against me and my word. And we don't audibly say it out loud, but we often live out there ignoring that we have a God, that this is part of what we are to share. He wants the world to know it, and he wants us to share it. But that sounds mean to us in our judgments of polite modern society. And so the fact of the matter is, Christians, even self-professed evangelical Christians, go out the doors of their churches and sooner would rather pretend things like universalism as a viable option for the life to come, where no one will endure the wrath of God, or we fall into pluralism, that Christ is just one of the options of the many options of the religions of the world, uh, all the good people, quote-unquote, will be saved. And yet we have a God who in chapter 9, verses 14 through 16, says, I'm just as comfortable with you sharing about the reality of my wrath for those who will not listen to me as I am for my mercy and my love. Which makes sense because isn't that intertwined to the very gospel itself? You actually cannot share the gospel well at all without sharing the reality of God's wrath. What good is the resurrection of Easter Sunday morning without the cross of Christ, without the wrath of God being poured out upon the Son who takes away the sins of the world as, as that mediator for us, for our sins and for our salvation? That's the reality. You cannot share the gospel without sharing the wrath of God. It's impossible. You've shared a false gospel if you avoid it. 
And yet God's wrath, it still makes us feel messy. And we often battle against that greater honesty about God's wrath and about what happens to the hardened hearts that continue to be set against him. Also notice, just as God makes his wrath known, starting in verse 18, God has a warning go out. But this warning is actually a gracious warning. And the warning is this. The wrath that is coming, this is going to be the biggest plague you've seen thus far. It's going to be the most extreme plague thus far. You've never seen wrath like this wrath that is to come. And again, that's a hard message. God knows that's a hard message. And yet this hard message of verse 18 is counterbalanced with an offer of verse mercy in verse 19. When the Lord says, Now therefore send, get your livestock and all you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail fell, falls on them. So notice, again, just like the gospel presentation, God offers mercy in the midst of his wrath. Wrath intertwined with mercy. That's the message that is to go forth into this unbelieving Egypt. And so how would the Egyptians have been able to save themselves from this wrath to come? They had to respond to the warning. Fairly simple. For those to be saved from the wrath of God in this plague, they actually had to respond with obedience to His Word. You died if you did not respond in obedience to His Word. Also, remember, this is the second time that God is now having a plague for the Egyptian livestock. Even in that reality, there's a grace there. I, these weren't plagues of of daily order, if I really had to guess, I, I guess maybe once a week, if I, if I had to guess. We don't know sequentially how they were happening. We do know it wasn't daily. It was ten days of judgment. The order, only the Lord knows. But they've already had a plague that killed the Egyptian livestock. That's gracious and merciful too. Here's a warning from God. Do you remember last time I took the livestock from you? This time... If you obey my word, if you heed my word, that won't happen to you. And so you'd have to be really stubborn and have a hard heart, a foolish heart. You'd have to have a heart like Pharaoh to not heed his word, to ignore his warning of, and his offer of mercy and his offer of peace. And yet, as verses 21 and 22 make clear, while some responded to his words, some Egyptians are, are coming to believe and trust in this Lord through the power of his wrath, but also through receiving the offer of his mercy. Some just continue ignoring him. Just like Pharaoh, they fall into the trap. And they endure suffering and a wrath unlike Egypt had ever seen up until that point in its history where both people and livestock died. Because they ignored the word of God. I even thought of the eventual animal sacrificial system in Israel that would develop. Why do we know that 
People like Moses. People like Samuel. People like Joshua. People like Elijah. People like David had to occasionally go out into their flocks, go out into a sheep herd, and find the most beautiful lamb they could to pick up and to bring to the temple for sacrifice, to bring to the tabernacle for sacrifice. Why? Because they didn't heed the word of God. In the judgment of Egypt, there's wisdom even for us. This, these livestock are, in one sense, a sacrifice for these Egyptians who continue to refuse to listen to the word of the Lord. And so that becomes a, a point of application. Yes, Christian, the cross of Christ means the ultimate wrath of God has been removed from all of us. But that doesn't mean that we are not to heed the warnings of the word of God in the here and now. That doesn't mean that it's okay for us to just say, oh, well, that's just part of my personality. Oh, I... You know, I'll never find victory of that sin in this life or these sorts of ideas. It's actually healthy to ask ourselves, where am I hardened? Where am I stumbling? Where am I falling in life? Where am I not taking heed of the word of the Lord? And so here is the Lord. And now Moses stretches out his hands towards the heaven and the Lord sends thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth and it's raining hail and fire and water blended together to create a sight unlike Egypt had ever seen. And I couldn't help think about that moment in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 14 where the disciples had been out all night in the middle of Galilee, and they convinced themselves they were soon to die, and they see this figure walking towards them. They're convinced it's a ghost, it's Jesus. And, and Jesus responds with, though I don't think it's translated this way in the ESV, but he says, take heart. It is I am. And there's that and then, of course, Peter gets off the boat, and that's the popular preaching point of, you know, when you take your eyes off Jesus, you might, still, you might soon start to drown. But another point less noticed, those raging storms in your life, really in the second hymn that we sing about, the great I Am, He rescues those who heed His Word and believe upon Him and trust in Him in those storms. Everyone who heeded His Word during this plague and trusted in Him, trusted in what He said, they were saved in this moment. Actually, the land of Goshen, ever since Moses has come to the forefront in, in the fourth plague, the land of Goshen has remained unprotected as a unique mediator dispensing the plagues. And so that's why we need to be very careful to not just always focus on the externals, point outside in the world and, and focus on that 
those kinds of evils, but from time to time really ask ourselves, look at our heart inward. Are we really putting ourselves under the authority of God's Word in our day-to-day life? Because God loves to save those people who trust in His Word, who act upon His Word, who desire to be obedient to His Word as these storms and these plagues show. And as the storm rages, Pharaoh calls out to Moses and listen to what Pharaoh states. This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right. And I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord. For there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. And American Christianity's ears perk up and says, Oh, hey, that's great. That sounds like a sinner's prayer. That means Pharaoh's saved. Good job. Let me get you a pat on the back. You've confessed your sin before the Lord. It doesn't matter now the rest of your life and the trajectory it takes. Us Protestants at times have made a false sacrament of the sinner's prayer. Both of these plagues we look at today have a sinner's prayer. Actually, it's probably even a better sinner's prayer coming up in the next one of Pharaoh. It doesn't matter, though, because people can utter a prayer. It actually, what is more of question to us is, is there a new heart? Has there been a heart change? The repentance of Pharaoh had no lasting depth. It was inches deep. Once the hardship abated, the confession of sin to the Lord stopped. So beware, Christian. Just because a moment of outward piety is on display, that doesn't let us know of a true inward change. I meet plenty of people, for instance, at funerals. I have... I mean, I've obviously, funerals create family dynamics and messes all the time. But at least as the pastor, as the preacher, probably the nicest audience outside of an African-American congregation likes to talk to you during the sermon. But the nicest congregation you can preach to, the most like reverently listening congregation, is a funeral congregation. Because they're, they're forced to look at the reality of the consequences of sin. The death of someone. And I have had some wonderful conversations with individuals at a funeral that I know will never darken the door on a regular basis to worship the Lord. That's a little bit like Pharaoh's repentance. That's the kind of repentance we don't want. We don't want repentance. We don't want a faith life that just when things go wrong, we cry out to God. But we actually, even as Jesse was teaching in Sunday school, we want an obedient, we want a daily pattern to our lives of worshiping the Lord, of seeking His Word, of trusting in the Lord. And then we have the plague to fall, the plague of locusts. And I'm not, I know I've gone long. I'm not going to spend a lot of time unpacking this plague. 
in part because this is one of those plagues I'm sure YouTube videos can kind of give you an idea of. This is a plague that every once in a while there's this massive locust storm. I remember, I think the last major one was through China, or, or there's been ones through Africa, and, and famine kind of follows. Uh, people struggling to eat. Think about the, just the irony of that. Here these locusts are going to bring a famine of sorts. Israel originally came into Egypt in order to protect Egypt from famine, but now as Egypt has now turned against Israel, they now endure a famine in this plague. But again, I really want to focus at the end of this eighth plague. Look what happens again in verses 16 and 17. Pharaoh says, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. What a confession to the Lord. Now therefore forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. And again, what would the modern evangelical ear declare? They would declare, well, again, that sounds like the sinner's prayer. He must be saved. But Pharaoh's a great example of the fact that there are people who can say the right kind of thing from time to time, but that doesn't make them a true repentant believer. How do we know if our salvation is genuine? How do we know if we're really one of those who've been changed by the word of the Lord, not just the consequences of sin? It's how we respond to that word. Where do you run to? What, what precepts in your life have you established as the foundation of your belief? Is it the talking heads? Is it your favorite news publication? Or is it the word of the Lord? You see, the story of the plagues likes to talk a lot about Pharaoh's heart because it's this cautionary tale of a heart that continues to get more and more set in its ways. More and more committed Pharaoh was to his own rightness and the, and the reality, the outpouring of that wicked heart that just was so hardened to the word of God was that a great multitude suffered because of it. Even when he's acknowledging the reality of this God. And, and we've seen through the plagues, he even has come to know the names of this God, this God that he thought was made up at the very beginning. Over and over again, as God comes to him, as God gives him an opportunity to repent, to truly live and, and, and trust in his word, he's just hard. He just becomes more and more hard to it. Brothers and sisters, we have time in the here and now we have a privilege of God's mercy. We have this fleeting moment of time to decide whether we want to be a people inspired by God and His Word, to heed His Word, to protect our houses, our households, in one sense, from the wrath that is to come. Or if we just, we don't like a God like that. We don't want a God that is willing to say, yeah, you need... I offer mercy, but you, you also need to know about my wrath. So I'm just, I'm just going to ignore that. 
I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just ignore that and go on living like a heathen no matter what wrath is to come, no matter what judgment is to come. That's a scary thing. There's a reason why God is okay and perfectly comfortable with us sharing the reality of His wrath because his, the reality of His wrath is an opportunity to seek His mercy. And seeking His mercy is more than just saying a prayer once. But it's actually being led by His Word. Desire to follow His statutes. And so, as we've seen in this text, God wants us to consider both His wrath and His loving mercy. I I would say, even in the communion itself, it's a consideration both of God's wrath and His mercy. Together, hand in hand, And the best way, of course, to see that is in the combination of the cross and the resurrection. That he allowed that wrath to fall upon him for our sins and for our salvation. You know, when I started preaching here, after August, it'll be six years. I'll be working on year six. It'll be five complete years. You know, there are messages I preached here that are now illegal in Canada to preach. That wasn't the case before when I first came here. The idea and the topic of the wrath of God has become a hate crime. Think spiritual forces are behind that? That us actually sharing the wrath of God, something commanded in Scripture, something that both Jesus and John the Baptist repent. They were willing to share the reality of God's wrath. Do you think that's intentional? That governments, that even people in our own governments are seeking to outlaw the uncomfortable reality of God's wrath? And yet, the, we, we can't share the gospel without sharing the wrath of God. We can't see the Lord without seeing the judgment that would have fallen on us, but rather He allowed to fall on Him for our sin and for our salvation. And when we take heed of that, when we take heed of that better word, The Word of God made flesh for us so that we might live in His righteousness. It is then that no longer do we follow His Word out of fear of maybe God punishing us, but that's a God in whom we can grow to love and serve and desire to love with our whole heart and our whole being. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, uh, at times we are people who go through the motions. I know I'm a person who at times just offers you prayer in a flippant way. I'm sure I'm not the only one here. 
I sometimes do not take care to follow your word, to truly strive to abide by your word. And often I see judgment come in small ways through that. And so I just pray that you soften all our hearts. You get the pieces of gravel that remain, the hard parts. You soften that through the power of our spirit, the power of your spirit. Continue to give us life. Continue to strengthen us as we walk to that better place, that heavenly Jerusalem. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let us take a moment quietly and privately to confess our sins before the Lord.